Let's stand together as we prepare for the text. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. You'll find him, or John's gospel, right there towards the start of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you'll have the gospel according to John. I want to read to you from the first chapter, just a few verses to set the stage for what we'll be talking about in the coming weeks. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Look down to verse 10, if you would. And He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. And He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him... To them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If there's any wonder who this Word is, or who this is talking about, let me make it perfectly clear. This word is Jesus. I know so because the Bible tells us so. It tells us unmistakably in Revelation chapter 19 that as Jesus returns and He is seated on upon a white horse in a power of authority, it says His name is called the Word of God. And the Bible is unmistakably clear that Jesus was not just some man, not just some prophet. He is God with us. God the Son. It tells us here that in the beginning was the Word. And that He is the Creator of all things. That He is the life of all things. That He is the light of all things. In fact, He is God. And 2,000 years ago, God became a man. He emptied Himself laid aside some of the glory that He has enjoyed, and He became like us to become our Savior. And so for the next three or four weeks, we'll look at the events and the people surrounding this wondrous event of the birth of our Savior. Let's bow our heads. Father, we come to You with open hearts, with grateful hearts, Lord some with hurting hearts. We ask now that you would speak to us through your word. Speak to us of the hope that you have given us in Christ, of the salvation and the healing and the hope and the joy that he has brought. Please help our hearts to be open, our minds to be open, that we would listen and take in the word and that your word would work in us to heal us to strengthen us, to draw us closer to Yourself. Lord, help me to say only what You want me to say, Lord, and You do the work. We give You all glory for it. In Jesus' precious name I pray, Amen. You may be seated. 
It's Christmas time already. <laughs> uh, sitting back and looking at the weeks that we have left, we have three weekends, including this one, until Christmas week. I have three Sundays before <laughs> Christmas is here. That's insane. It just seems, seems like it's April or May or June. We haven't really had much of a winter, and it doesn't really feel like it with what's going on in society. It's, it doesn't, doesn't feel the same this year, right? It feels different. Of course, we know why. And it's not that hardship hasn't existed before. It's not that people haven't been going through hard times, and not that there hasn't been sicknesses or fears or uh, economical ruin. I think of uh, what was just mentioned in the devotional, however many years ago, 60, 70, probably more, my math's not good on the fly, the, the years during World War II, when the world was at war and it affected every nation. I'm sure Christmas felt different with soldiers away and, and uh, rations around and all that we know of what history tells us. So it's not that these things aren't new and it's not like it's any worse. It's just a bad time and bad times have come. But I find my own heart, I find in my own heart and in those I know around me, there's really a need for hope right now. Of hope. Not some false hope. People are putting their hope in a lot of things, that the stay-at-home orders will lift, or that they wouldn't have come back like they have now, or people are hoping in a vaccine that that's going to cure everything. Let me tell you, it doesn't. It doesn't cure the problem within our own hearts or the problem within society of evil and sin. There's something more than a hope that is based on that. We need true hope true joy, true peace. And that can only be found in Jesus. And it seems to be about this time of year that He kind of pops up around us, more so than any other time. You, 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 well, it might be a thing of the past, but you used to be able to walk around malls and shopping centers and You'd hear the Christmas music playing and you, you'd see manger scenes or, or Jesus is the reason for the season or signs that would say something like that. All of a sudden now at this time of year, that kind of comes up again. You hear it in churches and their programs and their plays and their music. And like I said, you hear it walking around in the world. It happens to be my favorite time of the year. I love the cooler weather. I love Christmas lights. They make me happy when I drive by and I just see Christmas lights. It just makes me happy. I like it. I love the music. I think the Christmas songs are some of the highest hymns ever written. If you stop to uh, pay attention to the words of Hark the Herald Angels Sing or Joy to the World, those are awesome songs. Awesome songs. It seems to be our, our mind comes to these things around this time of year. And you'll get some old curmudgeon that will stand up and say, well, you know, you know what a Christmas tree really means, or you know what the day Jesus really was born on. Yeah, listen, I know all that stuff. 
And I think Jesus is better than Santa. Santa's kind of creepy. You better watch out. He knows when you're sleeping and when you're awake. And he's going to break in your house whether you want it or not. (laughs) If you're good, you get gifts. That's what most kids in America are raised on, right? You better be good so you get something good. Why not instead teach them Jesus who gives us grace even when we don't deserve it? Who gives us the free gift of salvation when none of us deserve it? Oh, we could go through all kinds of things. Whether or not this is the day Jesus was born, I'll leave that up to you. But I think it's a good time to focus our hearts on the day that our Savior came. The fact that God became a man to become our Savior should grip our hearts. It should cause us to rejoice that God came down, even though that we stand in judgment, even though we failed Him as a human race, as a whole, even though we as a whole have turned our backs on Him. Yet He comes down to save us. If there there is no greater expression of love of Him coming and dying on the cross, I, I don't know what to show you. God loves us so much that He came for us. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks and focus our attention on that. To tell them that this baby in the manger they may see or, or sing about is so much more than just a baby, that He is the Lord of heaven. He is the Savior. He is King. Jesus is King, not a governor, not a health advisor. Jesus is King, and our King has come to save us. And so we'll turn our attention to one of history's greatest events, second only to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And what I want to do over the next three weeks is look at it at three different angles, three different areas. This morning we're going to spend time with the fools who missed Christmas, the people who missed it. Next week, we'll look at the faithful who received it. And then we'll spend time the last week with the family. So let's look at the fools who missed Christmas. This is a pretty huge historical event. All of the Old Testament is loaded with prophecy regarding Messiah's birth, Christ's birth. It tells of where He's going to be born, of how He's going to be born. And gets into detail that nobody else could fulfill. I, I read somewhere that the chances of, of somebody fulfilling the prophecies as Christ fulfilled them just in His birth, just in His birth, not talking about His second coming, not talking about in His life, but in His birth would be uh, equivalent to covering the state of Texas with 50-cent pieces about a foot deep and marking one of them with an X and having somebody search for that and find it in one try. (laughs) Ain't going to happen. But Christ fulfilled all of those prophecies just in His birth. There's no mistake, He is who He is. So it's a major historical event. It's enough to split history. You remember the terms from when you were in school. I think they changed them now. 
B.C., before Christ, A.D., the year of our Lord. It's a big enough event to split history. There were the years before Christ came and the years after He came. So, could it be possible to miss it if it's that important? Oh yeah, people missed it. In fact, it was largely unnoticed. The King of Heaven... Our Lord and Creator came down and took upon flesh as He said He would, and there were very few that even bothered to care. And so I want to look at three examples and see how they can be types of people who could miss it today. There were those who should have rejoiced to play a part in His birth or to be there at His birth, yet they did not. So let's let's look at three examples individuals and see what they have to teach us. The first, turn your Bibles to Luke 2. The first is like the most vilified, but he's never mentioned in the Bible. We give him a lot of grief, but he's not really mentioned. So who is he? Well, let's see here in Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Who's this individual? The innkeeper. Oh, we give him a lot of grief, don't we? Not exactly mentioned in the Bible, but there's something for us to learn here. First of all, we see in the first couple verses that this taxing takes place. Well, that's God moving in the background to get things where He needs them to be. See, Joseph is a a resident of the city of Nazareth. Yet Micah, in chapter 5 and verse 2, Micah is an Old Testament prophet, he prophesies that the Messiah is going to come out of Bethlehem. O Bethlehem, even though you are little among the inhabitants of Judah, out of you will come the Eternal One. Well, How's that going to happen if Joseph and Mary live in Nazareth? Why on earth are they going to go to Bethlehem? Well, see, God's got an answer for that. It's no problem for God. He'll just put it on the heart of a Roman governor to make a census. So everybody has to go back to their cities of lineage. And that makes Joseph and Mary get up, pack up, and go to Bethlehem so that the prophecies will all be fulfilled. You know, God works that way, don't you? When you see things going on in the news, when you see things going on in society, don't think God's lost control. He just might be working His will. Joseph and Mary could have been very upset. It's like nine months in, and now we have to go here? What is going on, God? Couldn't there be better timing? Lord, don't you see what's happening? Oh yeah, He sees what's happening. And He is fulfilling biblical prophecies. Because Jesus needs to be born in Bethlehem. So even though there might be some inconvenience, because Joseph and Mary don't really understand, God's working in it. 
You understand that? There's some things God might be working in in your life, even in the middle of a pandemic, even in the middle of economic or job loss, even in the middle of sickness. God could be working His perfect will. I'm sure glad He moved them to Bethlehem, aren't you? Now listen, Bethlehem's not a big town. It's a tiny place. And that place would have been busting at the seams. David had a big family. You can read in the Old Testament and how, how many kids he had and how the line goes like this. And Solomon, goodness, he's a son of David, so all of his, what, 700 wives and 300 concubines. You can imagine how many people come from the lineage of David that all of a sudden flood this little town. And Joseph and Mary are in the mix, and she is very pregnant. I like the way the Bible says she is great with child. She's ready to pop. It's time. And they come into town looking for a place to stay. Maybe they could have stayed with family. Technically, everybody there is their family. I don't know why somebody didn't give them a room to stay. Maybe they couldn't find that. But they, regardless, they come hoping for a room at the end. And what does the end of verse 7 say? There was no room for them in the end. They were turned away. It was full to capacity. No vacancy. And so the innkeeper says, sorry, I've got no room. Well, we think, how could he do that? Doesn't he see she's pregnant? Shouldn't he make room? Can't he do anything for her? And by the way, the manger was probably not his stable in the back. We get these, we got Christmas card theology problems. You, you see in your mind a picture of what the stable is, just like you see what the wise men look like. And we'll talk about that in a week or so. This nice, clean hole, or maybe it's, maybe it's a wood shelter, all this bright, clean hay, and of course a light shining down, a donkey sticking his head over one of the stalls, and a sheep laying down peacefully, right? And all in the center is baby Jesus. That's so pretty. It's not reality. The manger wasn't his nice, clean stable in the back. It was a public place full of animals and what they leave behind. Dirty, gross, stinky, smelly. That's humility. He wasn't born in a palace, scrubbed clean. He was born in the dirt, in the filth, much like the sins that he, of ours that he would take upon himself. That's what they could find. A public place, like a public parking garage where we all park and go shop, this is where people would put their animals while they were staying in the inn. Well, besides, we can't blame the inn maker. He's full of customers. The innkeeper, he's full of customers. To, to, to uh, kick somebody out, man, that'd give him a bad review. Besides, business has been scarce. And all of a sudden, I'm getting people in. I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity. He's just too busy to see it. Too busy. It's not mean. He's just too preoccupied. He's just a busy business owner dealing with the latest government edict. Go to church? Don't you understand it's COVID and now I can't be with people sitting outside? I've got to figure out a way to get people in here. I've got to figure out a way to keep my business afloat. I don't got time for God. I've got to see how to feed my family. I've got the hustle and bustle of life. I've got my own things to attend to that are much more important. 
And so, when Christ comes knocking, in a sense, on His front door, He misses it. Can I say, I think God's come knocking on some doors through all of this. Hasn't He given us a chance to change our perspective on what's really important? You're so busy with your work, how about I shut that down? You're so busy with this or you're so busy with that, how about you're not allowed to do those things anymore and now you've got time to think about me. And I think it worked for for a bit. Kind of like the time after 9-11 or the time when any, any major event happens like this, people do kind of turn their thinking towards God more than they usually would. And I think there for a time it worked, but... Man, humans are adaptable and we found a way just to get right back into the swing of things. We just adjust. And so, when God comes knocking on the front door, we miss it because we're too busy, just like this innkeeper. What about the second? Go to Matthew chapter 2. So, the first guy we see is busy. He's too busy to worry about things like that. Let's see another extreme, actually. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. Let's talk about King Herod. King Herod. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to do just a little bit of reading down through verse 18, but I will not apologize ever for reading the Bible in church. So Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Now, You remember in Luke it mentions Caesar Augustus. Caesar is the Roman rule. He's like the ruler of the known world at that time. Herod is one of the kings put in place by Rome to rule over an area. In the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, verse 2, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, art not the least among princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. That's Micah 5.2, the one that I quoted. Then Herod... Verse 7, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with great exceeding joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed their own way, departed into their own country another way. Verse 13, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. 
And he was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of by the Lord, by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah there was a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, because she would not be comforted, because they are not. This Herod that is spoken of here is Herod the Great. He lives from about 74 B.C. and dies in 4 B.C. And he has been king of the Jews for some 26 years now by the time Christ is born. He's about 70. This guy is a politician's politician. He does favors. History tells us whatever he could to stay in good graces with Rome. Hmm. Kind of sound familiar to some people we might see on the TV. They're so worried about staying in good graces with somebody, not usually the people, but with somebody that they'll do anything. And they don't care who it affects. And Rome is pleased to, to some extent with his rulership, so they give him the title king. And his rule is mostly peaceful, and sometimes that is by force, but um, it's for the most part peaceful. And he's, he's the one who builds the temple and some of these things that we see in Scripture. And he's always letting his subjects know how much he takes care of them. <laughs> this is for your good. I hear that one more time, I'm going to throw a rock at the TV. It's not for my good, what do you... Oh. See, there could be a lot of frustration going on too. All of, the, all of the good things or any of the good things that this guy does is far outshadowed by his character. We see a picture of it here. He's cruel. He's diabolical. He's maniacal. He's jealous. He's a murderer. You know, he murders most of his sons and his wives because he's feared they're going to take them over. At his death, all the members of his royal court were put to death. He's out to stop any rival that's going to take over his throne. So, verse 3, when he hears what the wise men come on the scene saying, verse 2 actually, they show up and say, where is he that is born king of the Jews? You realize you're not born a king. You're born a prince. You're made a king. But this one's different. Like anyone ever. This child that they are looking for is the rightful ruler of Israel. Herod hears that verse 3 and he's troubled. Now the word troubled, we, we, get, we get of like somebody sitting down saying, hmm, that's kind of concerning. No, the word in Greek is like a boiling pot of water. He's agitated, man. This is running through his mind. This bothers him. He knows that if somebody is born with the legal right to take his throne Rome's not going to interfere, and he's out. And he's 70 years old. He's fought long and hard to be where he's at, and he's afraid about losing control. Can I ask this morning, are you? Are you afraid of giving complete control to somebody other than yourself? To letting Jesus have the reins for everything? 
you know. I believe Jesus is king. And he is to be worshipped as such. And not just king like in some nice name, no. I believe Jesus is king over all. Everything in the universe, every speck, every particle, God is sovereign over all of that. Can I just say maybe we ought to trust Him some more? I don't know how, well, let me just say it. I trust Jesus with all of my life with everything. I have no problem giving him control. I believe, as was mentioned this morning, that God only, what happens in our life is only what God allows. Job chapter 1 and 2 tells us that. God only, what happens in my life is only God allowed. I believe as Colossians says that all things consist by the power of Christ and under his authority. I believe Hebrews chapter 9, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. That date is held in God's hands. So, that to say, I'm going to live until I die and let God have control in all of it. If God chooses to take me out by the coronavirus, so be it. I could wear a mask when I'm sleeping. I could bathe myself in hand sanitizer. I could stay away from everyone else. And if that is God's will, I'm going to get it and I'll go home to be with Him. Until then, I'll be fine. God has a purpose for me. There's someday He's going to call me home and when that time comes, I'll go home. Until then, I will yield everything else to Him and let Him have all control because He is King over all. And there are some people who are scared to live like that. We'd rather have things in our control or under our grasp. Same as Herod feels. He's scared of losing his control. So he hatches a scheme with the wise men. You see that in verse 7 and 8. Hey, tell me where he's at so I can go worship him. He doesn't want to worship him. He wants to take out the threat We see his drastic measures he goes to in verse 16. Then Herod, when he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and the coast thereof from two years old and under. It's terrible, isn't it? It's a horrible scene. No less horrible than the millions of children that are murdered in the womb in our own nation. Yeah, he missed it. His wasn't a sense of a busy heart. His was an evil heart. One that is afraid to lose control over our own destiny, own authority in our lives, and to give kingship to another. Let's notice quickly the last one to miss, and that would be the fool nation and her leaders. You're still in Matthew chapter 2. Look at verse 3. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. He gathers together in verse verse 4 the chief priests and the scribes and he he asks, where is this Christ that's going to be born? Verse 5, they give the answer. They said in him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Verse 6 is a quotation of Micah. They were troubled 
The news that somebody is fulfilling the prophecy to be born where the Bible says he's going to be born, they're troubled. They're five miles away from Bethlehem. You'd think they'd walk down the road and see if this is true or not. But they don't. After all, this is their Messiah. The promises of the Old Testament pointed to Him. How could they possibly, out of anyone on the face of the earth, miss Him? But they did. Why? They were indifferent. They didn't care. They were comfortable. They had their system going, and it was fine. They had lives to live, and the Messiah, well, He wasn't really part of it. I've got things to do. I've got things to worry about. Don't you understand there's a pandemic going on and I have a job to worry about and I have income to worry about and I have to keep myself healthy and worry about my friends and my family. There's a lot that I've got to do. I really don't have time for all that religious stuff right now. This stuff's more important. And so many people miss him. They live lives captivated by fear, captivated by doubt, in prison to these, to these things, and sometimes in prison to their own minds, when they don't realize the one who could set them free from all of that, the one who could give us unshakable hope, is the very one that they're putting off. Need I remind you, we read this in the beginning of the, in the book of John, that he came unto his own and his own received him not. You know what? We can get too busy for him too. We can get too busy for him too with hearts that are too full of other things. Listen, before we start looking down our nose at any of these people in Scripture or any of these people we know in our lives, we have to take a moment and focus, our, uh, focus with, uh, in ourselves. What are you doing with Christ? What have you done with Christ? Are you too busy for Him? Like, yeah, I know, it sounds good, I know who He is, I know I should be more faithful, but I've got fill-in-the-blank. And I need time to do fill-in-the-blank. And so you turn Him away. Some other time, some other time. Maybe in a couple months when things calm down. There's a lot of people saying that in March. It's December now. I go to church when things calm down. (laughs) We're too busy, so we turn Him away? While He stands at the door and knocks at our heart. Time and time again, has He done that for you? And you say, you open the door, as it were, and say, nope, too busy, come back later, slam the door and go back about your business. You know, there might come a day He doesn't knock again. Don't be like the innkeeper, as it were, where you're too busy and too full of other things to let him in. Are you too scared? You know, you've worked long and hard to get things worked out. You have, it, you have your little empire built to where you want it, and you are in control, and what you say goes. Well, I think you've seen how quickly that could change, haven't you? And the thought of giving control to somebody else, maybe that scares you. To have somebody else calling the shots and leading and guiding, maybe that scares you and so you resist. 
Maybe you're afraid of taking that first step and letting go. I've heard many, many testimonies talking about people as they have heard the gospel and they've been convicted. They know that, hey, I'm a sinner. I need salvation. It's me. So many have been scared of taking that first step. You know, there was a day in church when people used to come down to the altars. People used to come down and pour their hearts out to God. I don't know what changed, but I think we need to get back to that, beloved. When people would come, they didn't care who was in the building. They would come down, and it was a time where they would just simply come down and lay their life before God. Maybe it was for salvation. Maybe it was for strength. Maybe they were praying for somebody else. But they would come down and, and lay themselves at the altar at, in the presence of God. You know how many people I've heard that were too scared to take that first step. But the Lord dealt with them, the Lord dealt with them, the Lord, draw, the, the, the Lord kept drawing them. And there is many a testimony that says when they got out and they took that first step in the aisle, that was the moment they were saved. They might have come down, they might have prayed a prayer. You know, people have been saved in their seat. I was saved at home. People can be saved anywhere. But there's many a, people, many a person who have stepped out in faith, even though they were scared, even though they didn't know what would happen, but they stepped out in faith to come accept the Lord as Savior. And at that moment it happened because it was that moment they gave it all to Him. They gave control to Him. Are you too scared to do that this morning? Can I tell you what Jesus says? Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can I say there is nothing sweeter or more peaceful and gentle than having Jesus as your Savior and Lord. I pray that you would give Him control and make Him King of your life. Or lastly, this morning, are you indifferent? Jesus? Sure, whatever. Church? Yeah, man, that's cool for you. I got other things. I'll do what's best for me. You do what's best for you and stay out of it. You do that and you'll miss him. You'll miss him. <laughs> the scripture tells us that before he goes to the cross, Christ looks out on his own people, the ones who rejected him, while he's weeping. And he says this, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you together to me but you were not willing. Can I ask you this morning, is Christ weeping over you? Wanting to gather you close, but you don't care enough to care. While He weeps and says, why won't you come? Don't miss the Savior this morning. Don't miss the Savior in this time of life. Yeah, I know it might be hard. Yeah, I know some of us might be facing some struggles, some more than others. Some might be facing some fears. Some might be facing some heavy burdens. Wherever you find yourself this morning, don't miss Him. I pray that you would do as the song we sang this morning in service. Come and adore Him. Because He is worthy of it. He is the King of Heaven. Come down to us. 
to save us from our sins. All this pain, all this suffering, all the death, all the disease, all of the bad stuff in in this world is a result of sin. That's what sin has done. It has wrecked everything. It has separated us from God. It caused us to be in judgment. Christ comes to put an end to that. There's coming a day He's going to restore everything. When He comes again, He will restore this earth back to how He created it. And until that day happens, He comes to prepare us for that. You know, He can restore your life. He can take away the pain, take away the suffering, take away our sin that has separated us from Him. All He asks is that we believe in Him. I pray that you would. Salvation is found in Him. Peace and hope is found in Him as He takes away our sins and gives us eternal life. You see, I have a hope in my heart that is bigger than what is going on right now. There is a reality that in my heart that I know that if my eyes close in death, I am with Him in perfect peace forever and ever because He saved me. Do you have that hope this morning? I pray that you do and that you can look to the fact that He came to die for you to take away your sins. I pray that you would trust Him in the midst of this. Trust Him with your eternity, with your health, with your finances, with your future. The Creator of all things, He who has existed from eternity, came down to give us light, to give us life, to heal us, to save us, to prepare us for eternity with Him. Don't miss that this morning. Not for distractions, not for fears, not for anything else. But that we instead would receive Him. Rejoice in Him. For He has come to save us. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray you take these words. Use them as you know how. Speak to the hurting heart that Christ has come to heal. Speak to the fearful heart that Christ is King over all. Speak to the indifferent heart, the hard heart, Show them that Christ has come in love to save us. Help us as only you can, Lord. Help us to rejoice as we look back on the day that our Savior came, showing your great love for us and your great grace and mercy to us that you would reach down to us and provide salvation. Lord, I pray that if there is any here that do not know you as Savior, Lord, you would continue to draw them Show them Christ, not just in the manger, but lifted up on the cross as He bore our sin of alive from the dead, seated at Your right hand, victor over sin and death, and the only one who can save us. Please use these as, as You see fit, Lord. I ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.